It's time for Done Being Single with your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Scharf. If you're dating the same type over and over again, making the same mistakes and not finding love, then you're not done being single. What you need is some tough love dating intervention, Trevor and Robbie style. Whether you're new to dating or have been dating forever, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Sharp. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so... so yes. Never gets old. No, I love the applause. Yes. Um, too bad it's imaginary. Anyway. It's, a can- it's canned. Well, it's, it's real. It's real in my mind. Just let me go, just let me go with it, okay? Um, you're going with it. Okay. So, but I want to sort of give a round of applause to dating and dating around the world. Because, you know, we don't... Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. We, we forget because we're, we're based in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we, we, or, and we are, you know, in the States here. We forget that dating does go on around the world. Yes. That people do date. And uh, it's a tradition and a ritual and a convention. And we didn't start this. No, we did not. No. I'd like to think it started with us. No, hardly. There's, there's uh, been dating and fornicating for... Centuries. Yes. Millions of years. Millions. Yes. Species, interspecies. That's how it all happened. Yes. Your parents somehow found each other. They dated. They went on a date. They got No, your parents married. somehow found each other. And then... Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. had you. So mm-hmm. dating is... I don't want to think of my parents that way. Um, oh, so, But dating goes on everywhere. There's Tinder everywhere. There's online dating and apps. Everything. We forget. I forget. I do. I think it's like just, you know, exclusive what? to us. Really? Come yeah, because we, because we hear about it so much just locally. and um, But this this show is broadcast all over the world. It is. In the craziest countries. It is accessible. We have fans uh, in China. We have fans in Nigeria. We have fans in Mexico and Costa Rica and Sweden, uh, Israel, France. It's kind of fantastic. Great Britain. So shout out to all of you guys. Mm -hmm. All of our first first of all, thank you, thank you. I don't. We never thank the international audience. Germany, Austria, we. Cameroon. Yes. Congo, Zambia. We do. It's uh, it's fascinating to see that. Uh, yeah, it's really nice to know that people are which, getting it on. Which tells us that these issues that we discuss weekly are global issues. Everybody has these yep. relationship concerns, whether it's dating or um, relationships with their family, friends. Right. It's, it's universal. Uh, that's what makes... Well, that's what they say. They call it the universal language, right? Love. Yeah. Or something else is. Exciting and new. Uh, but it's just, it happens in different ways and in different fashions. And we were having uh, dinner this past Saturday night, actually, with a fellow from France. Mm-hmm. Young, not too old either, right? Kind of around our age. Yes. And he said that no one in France goes on blind dates. He's never heard of a he's blind date. He's never heard. And he's, he's not aware of anybody ever going on a blind date. And I said, well, wait a second. You mean that friends of your friends don't say, you know, I've got a great girl for you. I want to fix you up. Here's her number. Call her up. No, it's always a social engagement where there are multiple people there. So it's never one-on-one for a first meeting. That's what he made it seem. And he, and he, 
he's never heard of anybody going on a first date. Yeah, it was as if the strangest thing we were describing to him. What is this thing you call blind dating in this country? He could not even imagine being given a woman's number. Here, go call this this woman. She's great. He would never do it. He said his friends would never do it. Um, They tend to do it in groups, um, and you know, if and then and online and on apps, which I find weird. I would rather be fixed up on a. I mean, honestly, I'd rather be fixed up on a blind date by people who know me and know the other person than just to to go online dating. My preference. And and you have let it be known that when you have been fixed up, you don't run to your computer and Google them and want to see pictures. You would rather not do that and just let the blind date yes. happen and you see them for the first time and it's, yes. that's your surprise. Uh, yes, I love the element of surprise, but that's just me. I'm an old, I'm going the way of the pterodactyl in this dating world. I, I just, nobody wants, here's the problem. We've had, we've had an episode about this and this is just what I hate about online dating. It absolutely removes the element of surprise because you're seeing the person and you have it gives you an opportunity to prejudge. So, whereas if you're fixed up on a blind date, I mean, you don't, I never asked for a picture. I didn't want to see a picture. I would rather be surprised and not, or rather not let down, right? I mean, how bad can it be? If your friends are fixing you up, they're not going to fix you up with, you know, Shrek. I think that time is precious today, though. And I, I think that if you can head something off at the past because you know it's not right on a, just a physical level, you're going to say, oh, no, it's not for me. Uh, I can't. I, uh, not my type. It, yeah. You could be completely wrong. And I think the uh, one of the things that we are learning here is that it's okay to date against type. It's okay. This person's not your type physically. Go out with them anyway. Have a drink. See if there's a connection. Yes. See if, there's, yes. if you like them aside from their physical looks. Yes. There's nothing wrong with that. Things can develop. Okay, I'm just going to say this. Uh, it's not it's impossible if you don't have a spark in the first meeting. Um, that's not to say that it's not impossible. It can develop. You should hang in there enough, at least two dates, at least, not just one, unless they're hideous, I guess. But I don't I Well, mean, okay, so you're... But if they're hideous, you wouldn't have seen... If you saw them, they were hideous online, then you wouldn't have gone out with them. So you kind of know what they look like. But anyway, we're getting off topic. Well, yes, but at the same time, if they are... Do you want to know if someone's hideous? Wouldn't you rather know? I w- of course. And then you have no, to question the person that fixed you up. And no say, one's going to fix you up with a hideous person. Well, no not, one. Not one of your friends. They know you. Uh, but again, this is, this is we should save this for another. My mom fixed me up with somebody that was hideous. It was a friend of her. It was a daughter of a friend of hers. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's okay. That's your mom. I know. Give her a break. I, I did. Once. She meant well. She did. But she never saw her either. Oh. So she was doing a favor for the friend. I okay. Think. So that, that happens. It's of okay. course. It's okay. It's not a waste. Did you have a nice time? I We went out for sushi and Whatever. You got quick. a good. You got a good meal out of it. Okay. Quick sushi, man. Yeah, I mean, was, stop complaining. Okay. I'm not complaining. I'm just... Good for you for going for the full meal. We went for it. You know. This was back in the day when you actually 
took someone out. You picked them you up. You didn't and know you what she looked like until she opened the door. And you committed to a, to a real date, which, by the way, again, has, is going the way of the pterodactyl. And we have a guest on today who is um, from Britain, and she is a, a love and sex and relationship uh, writer and dating expert. And, and we're going to hear from across the pond how they do it uh, in wait. the UK and elsewhere. And she's got historical references, and she wrote a fabulous book about the history of dating. And should we bring we should, her on right I now? I can't wait because she's, this girl's got it all. Plus, she's hot. Okay, which is a you know prerequisite for us. We Never only, hurts, right? We only have extremely hot people on our show. Yes, well. Okay, yeah. so can I introduce? Yes. Okay, Nikki Hodgson is a journalist, broadcaster, and author living in London. She regularly contributes to the Guardian, Vice, and the Telegraph on sexual politics, dating, and technology. Nikki was one of the first British journalists to court report via Twitter, including the 2012 obscenity trial R versus Peacock. Which we don't know about, but I'd like to know more. Nikki is a regular commentator on BBC Radio's Radio 2's The Jeremy Vine Show, BBC R4, Women's Hour, and BBC World Service, and has presented and written two documentaries for BBC Radio. She reviews the papers and comments regularly for Sky News and makes frequent appearances in TV documentaries and debates on relationships, technology, and society. Recent credits include Newsnight and The Big Questions. Her latest book, The Curious History of Dating, From Jane Austen to Tinder, is published by Little Brown. And she will tell you where to find it, I'm assuming, on Amazon. But let's get to it. Nikki. Welcome, Nikki. Welcome to Done Being Single. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. Can you hear us okay? I can, yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. Great. Excellent. Okay, so you heard us chatting. Mm, I did. And um, I've got a ton of questions. Can I just start my, yes, with my questions? The please. first and foremost. Okay, so I just have to tell you, I, I know one of the horniest women I know, uh, a, a friend of mine, um, became a, a therapist, uh, a sex therapist. And it, was, it made total sense. She actually turned her passion... <laughs> And her her freaky flag, she turned it into a profession. And I'm wondering, um, did that sort of happen with you? Did you start off just being, were you a writer first, or were you just a super horny horny girl and just wanted more? <laughs> a really good question. I think the majority of people that knew me at school, at university, were absolutely astounded that I became a sex writer because I was the geekiest, most puritanical uppity person you can imagine. I was deeply interested in feminism and women's rights and the history of social change. Uh, but I had absolutely no interest in sex and certainly not about writing it, writing about it. And then it was really through studying um, actually Elizabethan love poetry, it's going to sound ridiculous, at university. We had this incredible lecturer called Dr. John Rowe, who was this you know, the kind of archetypal silver fox. And he would read us this very kind of saucy poetry in his very, very British accent. And uh, it was a group just of girls. It's really, really funny thinking back on it now. We were just all absolutely mad about him. And I don't know, he ignited something in us that was like, we, we just kind of, we all wanted to read more after we'd been read to. And um, I started to develop a real interest in, in yeah, basically, the history of love and and how people had written about it and um, how they had 
managed to write about it in times where you weren't allowed to be so obvious about your desires. And I just became so impassioned by this stuff. So fast forward me moving into journalism, I trained as a political journalist. Working in London, I realized really quickly that political journalism was basically, uh, I imagine it's what it's like in Washington to some extent, it's basically a gossip train. And um, you're working around, you know, the kind of gossiping that's going on in Westminster, as we call it. And I just didn't have any interest in it. So I just thought, well, what do I really love writing about it? And it was love and relationships. But from an in, from an intellectual perspective, because I think uh, as in, in the Western society, we are so poor at talking about love, sex, relationships in an intelligent fashion. You know, we just treat it so trivially still, more trivially than any other topic, in my opinion. Hmm. So that's that was that's what I became interested in. And that's what I kind of made my beat. So you're horny in a cerebral sense, <laughs> in a purely research capacity. I, I mean, yeah, just kidding. basically. I mean, I did have a stint as a dominatrix. And, yes, we're uh, getting to that. Don't get ahead of yourself. Okay. No, yeah, that's I great. Mean, well, yeah, I mean, I didn't, let's just say I, it was it was a purely cerebral intellectual interest that drew me to writing about this stuff. Yeah. Well, we have a it lot of... We have a lot of questions for you, Nikki, and we have to take our first break, but we are going to come right back and uh, delve right into this. This is pretty interesting. Have a cup of tea or a glass of wine. Yes. So we'll be right back. (laughs) And we're back with Nikki Hodgson. Okay. uh, So too bad we just went to break and that wasn't recorded because that was kind of funny. Nikki dared us to uh, (laughs) unsettle her, I guess, to... She's heard every question. She's heard every question in the book and... we are going to think of one. Uh, you know what? You, well, you know what my favorite question is. It's the question of the ages. Oh, honey, really? Yes. You're going to go there. Well, there's two. Really? Here's what I, I. Yeah. Well, why not? I bet it has We're something with the right to do with, with the. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I have two questions. Uh, not for you. I'm just putting. This is my my favorite questions. I have yet to get it answered. Uh, spit or swallow? And do, do men really like a finger up the butt? That's Those are my questions. I usually ask them. I get different answers, but um, that's, not the, this, that's not this show. Okay, so... Well, what, are you just putting it out there? Or what are you going to do? Well, I've been trying to make her... She she said dare us. So. That's not a daring question. I mean, that's easy. Okay, so yeah. swallow, easy. And um, definitely finger up the butt. And as I found working as a dominatrix so much more as well and the most regular guys the guys that would never be otherwise interested um i my firm belief is that most men do want to be dominated as well there's only a tiny proportion of them that can't handle it most people fantasize it about it at some point um and i think you can make any man submissive as well in the right context i have to agree do you (laughs) of course you know but you've got to know the path or the key yeah, but completely. just like you said, you that any man can probably be brought to yeah. his knees. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Okay, that's good information. I will make <laughs> a mental note of that next oh, really? time. Okay, but we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Oh. The, the sex stuff I wanted to leave for later. Cause right. I wanted to war- warm up a little bit. You, you, I think we're starting okay. in reverse here. So I want to get back to dating. That's kind of, mm. that's our comfort zone. <laughs> Uh, we do have another show on this network called The Sexy Lifestyle, and Nikki, you'd love it. Oh, they, they, they will love, go for they it. They would love Nikki. They will love you. I and them. yeah, I know that show, and I follow them on Instagram. Oh, they're great. Carol and they're Dave are wonderful. The sweetest, the sweetest people. Yeah. 
Yes. Okay. Very so cool. we're them, but just like way, way. <laughs> we're the we're the romper room. We kindergarten we're the kindergarten them. version <laughs> of that. Okay. So uh, tell us about dating and how it's different in Britain. And um, as you heard the opening uh, the opening segment here, I mean, I can't imagine it's that different, but maybe it is. Clue us in. Yeah, there are some differences, and I um, I speak from personal experience as well as. Uh, research and writing because I spent about four years living in California when from like 2012 to 2016 and first I was in San Francisco it was after I written my first book about my time as a dominatrix I actually made some money which nobody tends to do out of writing so I decided I was going to go have an adventure so I moved to California for a while and um, I got a job as a Silicon Valley matchmaker alongside carrying on writing and uh, the conversations I had with the kinds of people that were looking for love were just so fascinating to me. I've got to say that Californians are far more picky than Brits are, and that's irrespective of gender. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was amazed at how much people's hobbies and personal pursuits mattered to someone. It wasn't about material things in particular, but it was you know details about whether they took vitamins, vitamins, or like what kind what specifically what kind of yoga they did and these things that had you know they were these were kind of like do or die like if somebody did the wrong kind of yoga they just wouldn't go on a date with them <laughs> which I, found, I just found fascinating um and the men the men were interesting because they tended to be you know classic silicon valley geek had tons of money no social um uh i don't know very not poor manners that's the wrong way of putting it but kind of they no didn't really skills. have a, no game. You know what I'm saying? They weren't they weren't particularly sophisticated in their social connections and their ability to communicate. And you know, it could be as simple as making people use a knife and fork, which Brits always criticize Americans for anyway, because we always say that mm-hmm. it's a cliche. But like like you always tell us that we drink tea all the time, we always say that Americans don't use knives and forks properly. Mm-hmm. So there was some of this kind of basic etiquette. But it, I found that the American men I talked to had were very sweet. But they often had very, very high physical standards for the women that they wanted to date. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in my opinion, not really justifiable because they were not necessarily oil paintings themselves, as we say in Britain. So um, <laughs> that's a nice way yeah, to put so it. Yeah, that was interesting. But then there were some things I culturally I noticed from dating people. And again, I was in California, so it doesn't apply to every state in America. But there's a kind of... Uh, there's a there's a tendency to use hyperbolic language when you're Californian. So, you know, you say, you know, you, you go to a film with somebody, a movie, and they go, like, oh, it was fantastic, it was amazing, what did you think of it? And it's just like, oh, yeah, it was good, it was fine. And But they actually just mean it was good, it was fine. They don't mean it was that fantastic. But the problem is that if you, if somebody says that about you, like, you're amazing, you're super special, I've never met anyone like you, you can get a really sort of, twisted idea of how much they like you when really it's just kind of very casual appreciation and it's happened to me a number of times when I was personally dating thinking oh this I'm going to marry this person obviously because they're just so obsessed with me but actually you know it, it was just literally the use of language and within two weeks it had fizzled out okay. uh, I agree so I've had, yeah I had that to be a real pain in the bum um we just had this conversation what yesterday about the word amazing which I think is so overused yeah. And I, I did, yeah, and I said to Robbie, amazing. okay, so I have a, a, an acupuncturist here. So I get ac- acupuncture and I use the word amazing. And I said to him, do you ever hear me say that word? And no, right? Do I yeah, ever say that very word? Rarely, rarely. Very rarely. You really have to save it for, 
I think, extraordinary um, occasions. And I have a question back to the pickiness. I just have to ask you your opinion on pickiness, because I have a, a theory about pickiness. Okay, Nikki? Okay. And you, and I, I copied this, this line out of something that you wrote, repackage your current status as evidence of your high standards rather than your understandable insecurities. And yes. to me, when someone says, oh, I'm just, I'm just so picky. I'm just too, why are you single? Oh, I'm just, I'm very picky. I don't necessarily buy that. I don't. I agree. I don't, I, I think agree. it's bullshit a lot of times. I don't think they're picky. I think they're really insecure. That's just their way of saying, I don't, I'm not deserving of someone great. I don't, I'm not worthy of someone um, super high quality. And then they just it, because it, that to say I'm picky sounds much better than to say oh I'm just insecure. Would you agree with that? I would completely agree. I mean the numbers of people I've met over the years in varieties of roles date coaching. I've worked over dating apps as well. People who say that it's generally a defense mechanism. They don't want to examine the fact that they're afraid of commitment. They may have been very vulnerable in the past. Maybe they've been very badly hurt. These are classic tropes for saying I'm picky. I'm picky very rarely means I actually have a really high standard because, you know, most of us past a point realize that there are several people, if not more than several people on earth that would make a perfectly good match for us in the long term. And it's just a factor of combinations, you know, timing, luck of the draw, where you're at in your life, um, the kinds of way, you know, the circumstances in which you meet, which which means that somebody can then become something longer term. But there are, there's, there's no such thing as the one. There's absolutely not. And um, that doesn't mean that once you've committed to someone that they don't become supremely special and nobody else could replace them because that's exactly what happens. Mm -hmm. But at the start, there are multiple options. So I think, again, anybody that tells me like, oh, you know, I've dated all these people, but none of them were the one that was always a kind of a, an alarm going off for me. What is it about this person that they can't forge forward with somebody, you know, mm -hmm. because they can't, they just cannot be continuously picking people that are, you know, that they can't work with, is my opinion. Okay, good. I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page there because I, yeah. I, I do think that, and I hear that a lot. We hear that a lot. You know, that's a, that's yeah. a very convenient excuse to give. Oh, I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm just so picky. Nikki, as far as relationships go, are you uh, involved now currently with anybody? I mean, do you date a lot still? No, I'm very happily engaged. Oh, I'm planning congratulations. So, um, very, yeah, very, very relieved and just really enjoying this stage of my life. Uh, I did enjoy dating and I think I was probably quite good at it. But the problem that I had is because I've written so openly about my own life, often in a confessional way, because it's the nature of the journalism I did for a period of time, even though I started out as a you know very serious political journalist, I found that when I would meet people, they would have Googled me and it would just set the date on a really bad path from the beginning. Because I've had all kinds of different experiences, as have many other people, but the difference is I've written about them. And people are actually very judgmental. Mm -hmm. And I found that I found in particular that there was a certain kind of man that was attracted to me because I was very open, but simultaneously felt that, you know, I was not suitable to take home to meet family and I was not suitable to be a candidate for marriage, for example, which is so conservative and old fashioned. But I continuously came across those kinds of people. And in particular, because I'd written about being a dominatrix, which actually was for me, again, really like an intellectual journey and curiosity. I personally am not interested in BDSM. It doesn't mm -hmm. do it for me. Mm -hmm. But I've done 
pretty much everything under the sun within the spectrum of it. But it gave people a very, it was very, very hard to explain to people who may have read my first book all about that. But I just, I'm not that interested. <laughs> you know so what I'm saying? I'm curious, so, uh, how, how, when you were dating, how are your needs changing? I mean, I've always been, I've always been very vanilla. Like I'm a I'm a very I'm a very passionate, connected person. I need deep connection with someone. I need to talk a lot to develop intimacy. I I'm very sensual, but you know I'm not into power play. I'm not at all interested in that. It just doesn't do it for me. And yes, the world revolves around power, but that's probably again part of why I moved away from being a political journalist because I just wasn't interested in power. She's very boring to me. I'm much more interested in having deep connection on a level with someone. And you can do that in BDSM, of course you can, but the, but the power element is a really key component of it. So if you're not interested in that, you're probably not going to be interested in the rest of it. Okay, so with that said, because this, this brings up a question for me, if men, if you say that men have an interest in being dominated, okay, mm. then how is it that men... Um, need to be the 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 pursuer like if how do you how do you square that um in a a traditional dating sense i feel that men like the chase men want to pursue men like being men that's maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm old-fashioned but i guess things change in the bedroom right the roles reverse sometimes men like having the shit beaten out of them i guess they do but do you understand what i'm saying yeah, I do. I mean, I think the major the majority of people that are interested in BDSM and I, and that are what I call tourists, i.e., like they might watch a fetish clip on a porn site once every so often and kind of like the idea of it, but maybe haven't explored it and wouldn't want to do it more than a couple of times a year. For them, it's just novelty. I think, despite men being the pursuers for any number of reasons, some of them may be biological, social, socialized. I think lots of modern men. They kind of idolize feminine worship. And what I mean by that is not only do they want to worship women, but they kind of covet being worshipped themselves. And I think a lot of men get very tired of always having to be the one passing out the compliments and putting somebody into position in bed. And when the role is reversed, they get a lot of relief from that and they, they enjoy the attention as well. And I think that's what it really comes down to because BDSM, as much as it's about power, is about attention. You know, if you're submissive, the reason you like being submissive, generally speaking, is you like being the, the absolute object of someone's affections and attentions because somebody who's dominant is, is completely paying attention to you, you know, and that's what's so seductive about it for many people. I think, men, you know, men just get tired of always having to physically be on top, right. but they want propelling the sex. Right. I mean, I think that's something I learned when I was working as a dominatrix and I used to, you know, wear a strap on and have strap on sex with people. The amount of physical energy it takes to fuck someone is actually quite high. You know, as a woman, you can be very passive mm-hmm. and still have sex with someone. You don't have to be. I'm, you know, I'm no, not, no. but right. you don't have to be. But the idea of like, that's quite standard for most people. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of men just get fed up of it and just think, well, I'd like someone to be kind of fucking me for a change. There's a mouthful there. And uh, that's not In a subject that gets discussed on our show very often. No, I think this yeah. requires an entire it. different episode we have to take a break on that too no. bad yeah that's whoo that we are gonna we're <laughs> uh i'm a little tongue-tied after that but i <laughs> and i need a cigarette so uh i'm going to uh take, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with more nikki hodgson and we are back with nikki hodgson so nikki uh, question for you 
about the Me Too movement. Is your Me, Me Too movement as fervent as ours is, or do British women handle their harassment differently? Because it, mm. is it? I, I mean, it is like crazy. Um, I don't know what you would call it here. It's just There's a hypersensitivity to it now. I think it's just. Yeah. Domestically. Every day, it's just another Me Too story about some celebrity or some politician. And I don't know. It feels like every little thing now is a Me Too violation. Like being tapped on the shoulder. Excuse me, miss. There's an awareness that I think that we all need to have. And I think that we haven't had it. So I'm curious as to what Nikki will say about it. How is it for you? Yeah, it's definitely a strident here, I think, as it is in America. I think what's been interesting about it is like from a dating perspective i think i sort of think it's kind of high time that we had an examination of behaviors that are basically hundreds of years old you know so when i was writing my book about the history of dating i was so intrigued to read about the ways in which people courted 200 years ago you know the fact that they used to have to have a chaperone and the fact that the times um at which they were allowed to be alone together were pushed very far on in the courtship, you know, practically to the point of marriage. But that still didn't stop people from having sex in the parlour during the Edwardian times. And, you know, people always found a way to get it on, regardless of the kind of social stricture. But, you know, in terms of, you know, in terms of like, we, we have this ongoing debate in Britain, and this is before me too, about street harassment. You know, if somebody beeping a horn or shouting out of a car and saying you look hot, you know, is it flattering? But there's always kind of a fine line between you just ignoring it and then you getting another comment, which is like, oh, you bitch, you didn't respond to me. Hmm. And that's been bubbling away for a long time. But that's also been around for like, you know, 100 years. So the idea that we kind of hadn't examined that is sort of ridiculous to me. You know, it's like we were really overdue. And I think I think what's really important and feminism has needed to lead on it for a long time. And it kind of hasn't. is a really powerful and empowering conversation about what kind of dating behaviors we want from people. You know, lots of people can very politely ask for a date or give you a compliment, and there's no aggression in it. There's no sense of a violation of boundaries. But for some people, it's still just kind of too much. And the reason it's too much is because there's been so many instances where maybe the boundaries have been violated with them. I'm definitely one of those people. You know, I have been severely sexually assaulted in pretty recent history, had to go to the police, report it. Um, Police couldn't do anything about it. And then I went on a talk show talking about it in Britain and the presenter decided to invite victim blame me and interrogate me and ask me why was I drunk and why Mm. did I get in a car with a man I didn't know, which I didn't. He actually jumped in a car with me. It wasn't anybody I knew. It's a completely random incident. But then I had to kind of like fight him and we got, um, we have a, a body called Ofcom in the UK, which regulates what you can broadcast. And they had to get involved with it because it was really severe. There were all these people listening that had been the victims of abuse and rape, and they were really traumatised by what they'd heard and his interrogation of me. And it just, it, it, up until that point, I might have said, you know, we've got to kind of pull this back. Enough Me Too stories, we definitely needed it, but we've got to kind of get things on the low. But that really showed me that the, in the mainstream, there are still so many people that just do not even believe the most basic accounts of women being violated. So I really think we're kind of at the beginning of that journey. But I do think what we should be having is a more peaceable conversation past the point of outing people when we need to out people, fair enough. But, you know, on a kind of, you know, human to human level, we need to create some kind of environment where we can really peaceably work out, well, if I did this, how would you feel? And where's the line for you? And what feels comfortable? And how can I know you're 
you're definitely giving me consent. That is something that we have to work on as a society. And certainly for our younger people, who I actually think are better at it than we are in many ways. Totally agree. Well, Robbie and I are a little older and come from a time where uh, it was like acceptable to be spoken to in a certain way. If I have uh, things that happen to me in the workplace, it's a good thing I sort of rolled with it or maybe it wasn't a good mm-hmm. thing, but you couldn't get away with that right now. Not in this day. No. Not, not the way they looked at you or maybe they touched you or joked with you about things uh, back then. It was just it was just what men do, which brings me to my next question for you is do you think American men are more aggressive in general? I think there's a in a dating way. I I don't think they're more aggressive. I think there's um, a sort of inflamed culture of hyper masculinity, is the way that I'd put it. There is so much pressure put on American men to be the breadwinners, to be really kind of you know muscular and strong, to be really go getting in the boardroom. I, I I find like you know like the alpha male is very much an American phenomenon for me when I've worked in the country and also dated people who are American. If you kind of come to Britain, there's an accepted kind of beta culture, a quiet culture, an introspective culture that people are much more accepting of. It doesn't mean that men don't still feel the pressure to look a certain way or earn a certain amount of money, but there's a kind of accepted other way to be a different kind of man here. And I think that is discernibly different. Would you say European men prefer strong, assertive women, or they like women a little bit more docile or passive or I don't know how you you describe it yeah no I I definitely think they prefer stronger women by and large definitely in Britain yeah I mean it really depends on the person and like the you know the very specific cultural makeups create certain kinds of people don't they with preferences but I definitely think there's there's quite a a, quite a high fetishization for a powerful woman and a woman that's gonna you know take no prisoners and you know, kind of run the home and tell you where you're going to be and what you're going to do and, and takes the lead sexually. I think that's, that's increasingly compelling in, in, in Europe for European guys. So in your travels, Nikki, are you finding a lot of similarities in what men like around the world and how best should women treat that? And uh, how can men be better at dating? That's a really good question, and it's quite deep and complicated, actually. Um, I do still think there are very strong cultural differences. You know, I was working for a dating app last year, and we launched in India, and it was just so fascinating how the men and the women behaved in the first couple of weeks of us launching it. All the women were very furtive. You know, they were very uh, professional, clever, able, seemingly liberated women, but they were very furtive about using the app. They were hiding it from their friends, you know that they were not able to share on social media that they downloaded it anywhere anyway. Whereas the men were kind of really bragging about it. They were absolutely using it for sex um, or to try and trying to procure sex. And that just, you know, even in really big cities like uh, Mumbai and Delhi. So that really kind of hammered home to me the fact that there are still some very strong cultural differences between us in the world. Australia, for example, is another country. My family all live there and I travel there and work there quite a lot. And I found that the men are, are again, hyper-masculine. Um, they have a very kind of strong ideal of what, what a woman should be. And, it, and it's pretty domestic. It's not really very go-getting. So, um, you know, I think, I think it does massively differ depending on what what culture you're in but something that is universal is men getting fed up of having to 
be the ones to pursue all the time. As much as we're talking about them liking it on a kind of biological, chemical, Mm -hmm. whatever kind of level, there's definitely a feeling that women should be asking men out on dates. They should be more forthcoming about what they want and what they don't want. I think there's less anxiety now about saying that you want to be monogamous with children and have children if that's what you want. There's, that's kind of swinging around the other way because mm-hmm. for decades people have been so anxious to put themselves on the line and say, well, this is what I'm really looking for. Um, so that I think that's shifting and also shifting with men. There are plenty of young men that really want to have children and it's really important to them. And uh, they're, they're finding it easier to admit that as well. How are you finding out about people meeting each other? internationally are they doing it via getting fixed up or is it more online now is it in person how uh, what are you finding since there's no blind dating left anymore i guess (laughs) not outside the u.s i guess yeah i mean it's interesting because i think some of the apps that we have in britain do these kinds of blind speed dating nights now because that's seen as um it's seen as kind of you know a little bit retro and, and kind of funny to do it and people are just so sick of the, the obviousness and the easiness of apps. So, you know, that, that that might kind of be having a little mini resurgence in some ways. Well, we know that the industry, the dating industry, is just worth so many billions of dollars around the world. And it sort of doubled in size within three years. So what I'm finding anecdotally is that younger people are telling me that they have app fatigue. They're absolutely fed up of using them. But the numbers don't suggest that, you know, Tinder is absolutely... Like, Tinder is booming. I mean, Tinder's only been around six or seven years, can you believe? We didn't really have heterosexual dating apps before then. The growth has been just so crazy. But I'm also quite convinced that it's going to be quite a short-term thing. I think in the next 15 years, dating apps will die altogether, actually. I agree. Why do you you think so? Because I think... I'm quite cynical about them. You know, they're, they're basically it's like gambling you know they're they're set up so that the house always wins they don't really want people to find love because if you find love then you're not on the app for long enough so you don't make them enough revenue the ideal customer for a dating app is someone who's on two to three years has a series of short-term relationships and every time the relationship ends goes back on the app to find the next person that's the ideal customer for a dating app Mm -hmm. it's not the person that goes on there and in three months finds the person they're going to marry no, no way. But that becomes a so, calling card for the next person that wants to find love and has not had any luck in doing that. And they read references and they said, oh, I found somebody on Match or on Tinder or something. And uh, they, they're now off, but now it, it has a new crop of people that come on. Yeah, but it's, it's but it, as she's saying, it's got that uh, addiction component where, like a slot machine, like and I, we are, we are know, aware of that. We have that you friends. don't want you don't want to walk away lest that you know that last dollar pays off. You, you know you don't want you put so yeah. much money in you don't want to walk away. Yeah. And I but I agree. I think I think at some point in time there's just going to be a boomerang or a backlash. I can feel it coming already. But there's there's definitely the more information people have about our how apps work so for the example for example the the fact they keep ghost profiles so when you delete your profile it's nearly never been deleted from the app and very often it's still active somewhere in the system and is reused to attract new members in for example it's very difficult to get your profile deleted it's not just the delete button that you press when they say you sure you want to go so that's a problem and the fact that they'll say things like so-and-so was just online two hours ago is nearly always a lie. It's often been longer, but they make it sound that it was more recent because, again, it's about re-engaging you. And I found that to be a particular problem because if people go on dates with each other 
and they log back in to see if the other person's been online, sometimes the app will actually misinform them that they have when they haven't. Then they have an argument with the person. And they say, oh, you know, I thought we were meant to be exclusive. You'd be back on the dating app. The other person says that they, you know, it's not true. They haven't. And they're not lying, but the app suggests otherwise and they break up over it. You know, so there's all these like little, what I consider immoral behaviors on the part of the apps which sooner or later people are going to become wise to. I agree with you there. I, my only counter would, would be that the addiction angle is makes it very difficult for people to get off the app because they are addicted to the hit they get from their ego being gratified by people writing them and being interested in them. And exactly. it's hard to settle for one person offline when you are constantly being attracted by other people online. So that's... Yeah, but I mean, it's just... It's, it's like online shopping. It's like lots of things. You know, these apps are gamified. The marketing communications are very carefully carefully curated so that when they think you might have found somebody, they'll send you a bunch of messages with pictures of new people in. The whole kind of point of the system is to trip you up. And uh, you can take off, you can turn off a lot of the notifications and you can put an app on your phone that restricts you to sort of like three minutes access a day, which is what I would advise most people to do if they want to use it as a virtual meeting room for which it is very good. But the minute you're on a date with somebody and then they go to the bathroom and you're back on the app swiping, which oh, I've gee. seen happen in restaurants, yeah. you know, it's playing you, you're not playing it and, it and you've got to take the power back from it. Yes. Okay. We are going to take a, another break here and come back with our last segment with Nikki Hodgson. So we will be right back. And we are back with Nikki Hodgson. Okay, so Nikki, I had something right as we were going to break and you and I are of the same mind because my problem with modern day dating is it's exactly what you said in an article. I don't have it in front of me, but I did, I did make note of this sentence. You either have one eye on the next swipe or you stick with someone because the other options might not be much better. And that, to me, just said it all. You've got one eye on the next swipe, or the other. The alternative is that you're just you're too scared, or you're with you know the person you're the misery you're with is better than the misery you don't know, and <laughs> and that's what keeps people stuck. Well, and the other thing that's interesting is that a lot of um, the main dating apps use this system where they're basically matching you on a basis of looks and popularity. And so the best matches they show you, it's like the chess system, the best matches they give you at the beginning are going to be the best matches. And as you swipe them away, the quality starts to dwindle. And then what usually happens at some point, you start to feel a bit desperate and you settle for someone that is not as good as one of the earlier matches. So the best thing you can do with a dating app is if you sign up to use it, within two weeks, delete it and start afresh because you'll get a new bunch of matches it refreshes the algorithm and it sets the process off from the beginning again at being at the high point of the matching. You know, you should never keep the same uh, profile for six months. You'll just continue to get poor matches if you do that. That's really great advice. Nikki, you wrote an article in The Guardian called Why Am I Single? Can you tell yes. us about your answer? <laughs> oh, yeah, it was quite a long time ago. But yeah, I was, I was, um, it was a piece I wrote just after Christmas, you know, when everybody's online. But the most popular. Uh, day of the year to be on a dating app is January the 1st. But the second most popular day is is Boxing Day, uh, uh, December the 26th, when everybody is all of a sudden sick of the family they have and decides that they, you know, they can go out and create their own <laughs> and find something better for themselves. Um, but the app was really looking at, you know, 
that kind of woe is me, why am I single? And that the, the, the people that will Google that and be so desperate for some kind of incredible pearl of wisdom when probably the reasons are actually much more straightforward and staring them in the face. But, you know, there are obvious things like you have to um, you have to keep meeting new people, whether that's online or in social groups. Social groups are way better. You should take up a hobby, something, do stuff that you really enjoy doing and you will meet other like-minded people. That's one of the easiest ways to meet people on your wavelength, especially if you don't just want to be going to another bar every night, which lots of people don't. Lots of people don't drink or don't want to just be, you know, drinking every day. Um, and again, one of the points was the I'm too picky. Why am I single? Well, you kind of have to look at your pattern of behavior. Is there something connecting all the exes you've had? Have all your relationships ended up in the same way? The other thing that's really powerful and transformative for people is learning about their attachment style, which is something that therapists usually talk about with people. And it's not something we ever really discuss in the dating industry. And for good reason, because it would probably uh, help people, lots of people find a partner quite quickly if they were to crack it. But basically, attachment theory is to do with how you were loved as a child and whether as a result you're anxiously attached, avoidantly attached or securely attached. And the population falls into one of these three categories. And uh, you need to figure out which kind you are to decode your behavior and know what is triggering you to be attracted to a type that's not compatible with you. And that, you know, essentially is keeping you single because you are trapped in these age old patterns of connection. Funny you should say that. I was actually my next question so let's move on about the uh, psychology of attachment theory but we're not gonna we thank you for covering that okay i want you to offer some suggestions what are men doing wrong in dating oh really good question well the main thing and it applies to women is just as much but you know i think it probably is more of a male problem in some way we'll get to the women it's next the it's the number of options that you're giving yourself it's been proven by Dr. Helen Fisher, who's one of the world's leading anthropologists around relationships. She works for Match.com, part-time as chief scientific advisor there, that humans suffer from cognitive overload when they're given too many choices in any situation. You know, it can be shopping, it can be making a decision about a job, any of these kinds of things. And it applies to dating as well. And that the human brain can really only choose between five and nine options. And if you give yourself more than that, it, uh, you know, it affects the quality of your decision making. So the first thing is don't have ever any more than five to nine options of someone to date on a dating app. Once you've hit that number, stop swiping, get off the app, work through the people you've got and then go back on the app if none of them are any good. Oh, but God. don't give yourself 25, 30, 40 options. I would break out in a sweat with three options. I don't know how to, I can't juggle <laughs> that. So what about being on a date? When you're on a date with somebody, what are men doing wrong? What advice can you give them to help their game? I mean, I think the main thing, and as hard as it is for some people to be dishonest, is if you're only looking for sex, say that, because you'd be amazed how many women are also only looking for sex, and also how refreshing it is for them to hear that you're being honest about what you're doing. I think the, the number one bugbear that I hear from women is men pretending to be interested in something longer term when they really just want you know, a quick shag, as we say in Britain. Mm -hmm. So if that's if that's you, just don't be that person because you can't really have any integrity about that. 
and you don't end up feeling good. And if you hurt someone's feelings or you end up with someone that keeps messaging you, messaging you and is asking you, you know, what they did wrong or like, what's going wrong, it's bad karma. Just don't do that. Be honest about your intentions. Because the other thing is, you know, and this applied, this is applied for hundreds of years. And it's something, it was the key thing I learned from writing my book on the history of dating. As far back as the 18th century, the people that were the most honest about what they were looking for found it the quickest. And that goes contrary to lots of current behavior. But if you only want sex, say that. If you are looking for a, lo a lifelong connection, say that. You know, you don't have to make it about specific about them. Oh, I, I, I only want to have sex with you or I only want to marry you, you know. But just be real about the kind of connection you're looking for. And, and it will, that, that is a game changer for most people. I agree. And, totally agree. and for women, how can women improve yeah. on a date? Uh, I think women just need to have less anxiety. So uh, I think women often put a lot of pressure on themselves and a lot of pressure on the person. You know, this might be the husband to be blah, 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 blah. You've just got to take all that away. And the other thing I say to women is if they're nervous or they feel like they're on the back foot to, to, to remember that they are interviewing this person to see if they want them in their life. And when you have that mentality of I'm interviewing you to see if I want to spend any more time with you, then it, it definitely gives you more power. It doesn't mean that you're rude to someone or inauthentic. It just means that you are carefully considering if you want to give this person any more of your time. And I think one of the one of the key complaints everybody has about modern dating now is that it just takes up too much time. You lose too many evenings to too many bad dates. So what you have to really do is, is whittle down the amount of time you give someone. You really shouldn't be going on a date with anyone for more than about an hour on a first date mm -hmm. because you know in a few seconds, a few right. minutes, right. if you find them attractive, if you want to spend any more time with them, you can very politely have one coffee, one drink, yep. and then if you do like them, arrange to see them again, but do not waste your whole evening having a dinner Agreed. or going to a show. And then, you know, before you know it, you're time poor anyway because you're working so hard. You haven't seen your friends, you haven't seen your family, been all these bad dates, and you just feel irritated with yes. the process. Yes, 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 yes. You are speaking our language, singing our tune. <laughs> I totally agree. Always leave yes. them wanting more. Which uh, is what we are doing with the show because we have to wrap it up. No way. Yes. I was going to ask, do we have time for one more question? I just want to know what her biggest fears are about the state of dating and where it's heading. In 30 seconds. My biggest fears about the state of dating is that people like Sean Rad of Tinder are going to invest in AI and persuade us that we all need computers to do our matching for us, which is absolute rubbish. We need our own brains, our own hearts to decide. Thank you. You, I, you're a girl after my own heart. You and I are <laughs> right. old-fashioned gals. Old-fashioned with a strap-on. <laughs> okay. Um, Nikki, this has been great. Very enlightening. Incredibly enlightening. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. You. And where can where, people find yes, you? Yes, where can people find you? You can find me on my website, which is nikkihodgson.com. You can buy my books on Amazon. Follow me on Twitter. I love talking to people on Twitter and on Instagram. And that's all at Nikki Hodgson. And Nikki is spelled N I C H I. N I C H I. And then H O D G S O N. Excellent. Thank you so much, Nikki, for being on the show. Thank you so much. You I'm gonna, I I'm going to go dominate my husband now. Yes. <laughs> I never even thought to do As that. As opposed to the rest of the, our days together. Which means which this is what dominating my husband sounds like. Do the dishes. <laughs> Clean That's the normal. House. That's okay. Fold your clothes. Okay. Very good. Oh, and bend over. All right. Okay. <laughs> Everybody have a great week. Nikki, thank you so much and we look forward to speaking with you thank again. Thank you so much. We are 
Well, congratulations. Yes, We're done congratulations being single. on your engagement. And you are done being single. And congratulations. And hopefully everybody else is too. <laughs> right. Okay. Have a great week, everybody. I'm Shadow Stevens with my friends, Trevor and Robbie. See you next week on Done Being Single.